0: At Maximus, we are focused on the future of federal government. We deliver mission-driven innovation at speed and scale, turning insights into impact. We are a top systems integrator and leading provider of transformative technology services, digitally-enabled customer experiences, and clinical health services. We help agencies navigate obstacles and anticipate the unexpected by becoming more agile, empowered, effective, and ready for what lies ahead. We are Maximus, moving people forward. Learn more at Maximus.com federal.
1: You know, I started out as a as a developer uh, on the technical side uh, and really project orient- oriented and, and delivery oriented like like many of us do but throughout my career as I've grown in, in into different positions in the organization I've gained a greater appreciation for the element of my job that was being a consultant. Um, actually a consultant and a coach. And for me now at this point in my career, that's my that, that's where I get the most enjoyment out of my job is, is actually you know engaging with clients and listening to the challenges that they have and then, and then working with my teams to figure out ways to creative ways to help them.
0: Welcome back to the Government Huddle podcast guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. In the world of industry executives in our market, only a small few really stand out amongst the elite, and my guest today is definitely in this group. Greg Mossberg, a senior vice president at CGI Federal, has built a long and distinguished career serving government, and I'm really honored to have him on the show today to discuss his career, which hasn't been linear at all. But along the way, he managed to reinvent himself multiple times, and I'm really looking forward to learning more from him today on how he was able to do that. In his role now, he's meeting with countless federal customers on a daily basis, so I'm also excited to get some insights from him on where he sees the market today, and also how it evolved to get to this point. I think no matter where you are in your career, whether you work on the government side or on the industry side, we're all going to learn a lot from Greg today. So let me welcome him to the show. Greg, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Brian. Happy to be here. For my listeners, this episode is going to be a fun one because CGI Federal really does so much. And I think Greg and I are going to be able to cover a lot of ground. But before we dive into some of those topics, I'm curious to get your perspective, Greg, on how the overall federal market has evolved. You've been in this space for a while now, not to to age you too much, but you've certainly seen a lot from a technology and culture perspective. So how have you seen things change over that period of time? Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's a that's a, I can go a lot of directions there Brian but I but uh, and you you did age me a bit that's all right I've been with uh, with CGI uh, for 31 years most of it most of it here in the federal market um, so I, I don't know, let me take technology first and and see if this is kind of kind of what you're thinking um, yeah. it, you know as I think about it coming into the workforce into the into the federal space in the early 90s um, you know, that was the frontier of the internet, right? That's when the browsers were coming out. That's when everybody was kind of getting, looking at that and trying to assess the potential and the hype and, and the excitement. Um, and, and, you know, I, I can think back to those, those days, they were crazy. Um, and, it, but if I kind of put that in, in context of my career, you think maybe you could you fast forward a little bit um, and you get into the mobile device kind of age in the middle uh, where there was just as much hype and, and just as much change that was that, that came about as as a because of of the mobile devices, and then you fast forward a little bit more and and we're sitting at another kind of inflection point I think now uh, as we uh, as you hear every day you can't go through a news cycle today without hearing about AI um, and and its potential impact on our lives both work and personal. Uh, and so it feels like there's been a number of these kind of inflections, and it was you know, if I think back on what I went through you know as the as the browsers and the internet came to the fore and then as all the mobile devices did, I can't you know I'm kind of I'm kind of excited to see what what AI is going to bring. I know that there's some risks that come with it, but I'm excited about the changes that it might uh, that it might bring for us.
0: You mentioned thirty years. I'm curious to get your take because I agree with you. I think we are at an inflection point. One of the things that I've seen over the past five, six years is government seems more willing to embrace some more emerging technologies, right? And when I think around emerging technologies that didn't really stick, I think back to around the Y2K kind of tech bubble that ultimately burst. But I think there was a lot of companies that had aspirations to to get into this market and just weren't able to what are some of the things that you remember around that period of time where, where some of these emerging tech companies really tried to, to get into the space, but I think lacked a number of things, whether it's the technology, whether it was the understanding of the market to, to really know how to negotiate a lot of the trials and tribulations that comes with doing business with government? What are some of the things that you recall from that period of time?
1: Well, I think it, whether it was the, you know, the, y2k or maybe even a little bit earlier uh, I, I think that the the difference between then and now is is where it was with regard to kind of the mainstream in a, in a cio's mind and, and you know 30 years ago it was far more on the periphery and he had a lot you spent a lot of time trying to um, talk about the impact that it could have on an enterprise or or on the, uh, um, or on the citizen um you know today And you talked about the the pace and and the willingness to accept today you don't have to convince people of the impact today you you the government customer is saying i want more faster uh, and, and better um and so the you see some of the 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 contracting methods embracing that with some quicker easier acquisition processes and you see a lot more of the the startups with with innovative technologies and ideas um trying to understand how to do business with the federal government. So I think it really is about where IT's impact was in the mind of decision makers and, and how big of an impact they thought it could have
0: on the enterprise. You brought up the CIO. Do you, do you think then that strategically the role of the CIO has really changed at that level and yeah, kind of what they so. were doing before? How, and how do you think it's changed?
1: I think the biggest way it's changed, and, and this kind of goes a little bit to, to the culture aspect, if you will, of what what we've seen or what I've seen over the last uh, 30 years. And I think, you know, back then, I'll just say it that way. So it's, you know, uh, the the CIO was far more, you know, we're going to implement an IT system, um, and, and would kind of roll it out through the enterprise come, you know, hell or high water. Now, I think today, uh, there's far greater appreciation for the need for the collaboration between the business and the CIO uh, by both parties to understand that this is a, that many of the systems are being rolled out are business systems and must be done hand in hand between the business champion and the, uh, the CIO.
0: I think that's spot on. I mean, I'm sure at CGI, you guys are seeing this, too. I mean, we hear and talk about so much around the difficulty to get to what that ROI is, right? Because in the commercial sector, it's so easy to say, hey, we're going to save you this or you're going to (laughs) gain this. And in government, it's different. But I think as people have gotten smarter in how they approach the market and also how they're looking to partner and understand, and that's the biggest thing is understanding their customer, they can get to that ROI because they're getting to that program level. Right, it's not this massive buy that they're dropping from fifty thousand feet. It's a little bit more nuanced than that, where you're getting into some of the specific programs within those programs. What is the ROI that this technology is going to drive for this for this group? Right, are you seeing that as well?
1: Yeah, I think I think that you know, ROI is a different concept in the federal in the federal space for sure. But you know, one way that that, that we like to think about it is is you know really what are the the business for lack of a better word outcomes or mission outcomes that the the program level is looking to achieve and, and and stakeholders in the organizations have different answers to that question and it's important as 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 we partner with with our with our clients to understand at each level what are the outcomes that that are being um, that, are, that they're, they're trying to achieve whether whether the at the technical level they may be able to you know, be trying to reduce technical debt or mm-hmm. um, improve processing um, time um, but as you move up in the organization the the, the, the mission level objectives come in in terms of um, you know, in the DoD force readiness, or in the civilian side, in the health space, you know, supporting our, our citizens from a from a healthcare environment, or Department of Veterans Affairs, supporting our veterans. Um, and so, I think it's understand it's important to understand the the mission outcomes that are trying to be achieved, but but they differ by level within the organization that you're talking to.
0: Within your role, how have you kind of seen some fundamental change in how you need to? approach the market. If we can let the listeners kind of jump into your brain a little bit in terms of how you approach things. Obviously 30 years ago, I'm guessing it's very different in almost the the pre-internet age. Again, sorry to sorry to date you there, but um uh, but into, into where we are now, I think to to be in that position, to be in your role over that period of time, you have to evolve, right? You have to be able to adjust and get smarter on kind of how you approach things. Um, So how, one, how, how have you managed to do that? And two, where, where have you seen that evolution take you into now?
1: Sure. I think there's, there's probably a a couple of ways that I would, I would respond to that. Um, One, personally, kind of how I've changed and then, and then what's changed about kind of the the organization for which I work. And so let's quickly hit the organization piece. The, 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 you know, when I started um, right out of school, the organization I worked for was, um, you know, a federal integrator, a few hundred million dollars. And as I've gone through my career and, and evolved into other organizations through acquisition or otherwise, um, I find myself now, you know, working for a global um, uh, managed services firm a business and IT consulting firm that with, with business and just, if not every, just about every major market um, industry and geography, uh, and so the the impact that that I and we here at CGA are able to have for our clients is one that we can really bring from a global perspective. And some of the great innovations that 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 happen at, at some of our, our, our global commercial clients in the banking industry, in the manufacturing industry, in the insurance industry, in the healthcare industry, we can bring some of those innovations and ideas. Uh, into uh into the federal space and 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 that allows us i think to have a far bigger impact than working for an organization like i did coming out of school that was just here in the federal space Uh, so that that for me has been a big change and and understanding how to leverage that has been a great challenge Um, i would say personally uh and it's kind of you know a little bit of a soapbox for me now at this point in my career is um, you know, I started out as a as a developer uh, on the technical side, uh, and really project orient- oriented and, and delivery oriented, like like many of us do. Um, but throughout my career, as I've grown in, in, into different positions in the organization, I've gained a greater appreciation for the element of my job that was being a consultant, um, actually a consultant and a coach. And uh, and for me now at this point in my career, that's my that's where i get the most enjoyment out of my job is is actually you know engaging with clients and listening to the challenges that they they have and then and then working with my teams to figure out ways to create ways to help them um, but that art of being a consultant and that word listen uh, are very powerful and often overlooked and and um, and so that that for me is a skill that, that i have evolved over time that that I uh, truly appreciate and and find myself now trying to work with everybody here at CGI in in developing that muscle in the the organization. Closely related, as I said, is coaching, uh, which is where I spend most of my time now. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I do enjoy coaching and and helping others learn to coach.
0: A couple of things I want to respond to there. First of all, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of the global perspective. As my career has evolved and I've moved into global public sector, I'm finding that what I can learn when I'm working and doing business in other countries, I can bring back to US federal, US state, US local, et cetera, or, or vice versa. And I feel all the better for it because I'm understanding different challenges of of countries that are either lesser evolved, more evolved, and, and you understand the spectrum. So I think that certainly helps me. And then the other thing I wanted to ask you is, because I, I think you're spot on, one of the biggest things that that somebody can do when they're sitting in front of of a customer or a partner is to listen. And when you're sitting in front of a customer, Greg, what are some of the things you're listening for?
1: That's a pretty good question. Well, I, you know, I think i'm I'm listening for um, obviously the, the the way they articulate the challenges um, that that they're having and, and, and what those challenges are at the at the very basic level, but perhaps more importantly, um, you can pick up a lot on, on you know, from, from their the, the passion and energy in, in how they're engaging or talking sure. about things. And, and, and those are some of the subtle, more subtle cues that you can, you can kind of grab onto and in and, and the, the simple tell me more <laughs> empathetic kind of, of ways of, 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 of making them feel heard and listened to. Um, so I would say the way in which they're delivering the, the information as well as the information that they're delivering.
0: You mentioned that you're spending a lot of your time coaching. What are some of the things that that you see, kind of patternistically, um, with people that that you're working that, with that you're trying to? Like, I guess what I'm asking is, what are some of the muscles that you're trying to strengthen on a regular basis for for your team and the folks you're coaching? You know, I think it goes, it, it, it dovetails pretty well with, with with being a
1: consultant, but it, it is one of. Um, and probably the biggest thing, I'll tell you what the biggest thing that comes to mind is. We, we all too often, and it's all of us in the industry, I, I just say it about CGI when we're, um, when we're engaging with each other and engaging with our, our, our clients, we, we, we want to solve the problem. And, and we want to believe we've got the answer and then we want to demonstrate that we've got a good idea and and, and get to the bottom of it and, and just get to solve it. Uh, it, it's a it's an inclination that we all have and one of the things that we coach on quite a bit is you've got you got to hold that back as you talk with uh, with your clients or with your team members and, and and allow kind of pull out more information before solving because you probably don't have the whole picture so rushing to to a solution is, is one of the things that we try to, to kind of coach out of the process and get people to listen more uh, before leaping to a conclusion.
0: That's something I've tried to get stronger in. And one of the main ways I've done that is honestly through marriage, because <laughs> I need to make sure I'm not jumping in with the solution and doing exactly what you said is more important, which is sitting and listening and understanding what the actual challenge is, not just how I'm perceiving the challenge from my, from my point of view, it's, it's, it's helped me immensely as you can imagine. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this. We've talked about some changes, right? What's a, what's something that's really surprised you in the federal market, right? Yeah. Again, I'm guessing over the, over the course of your career and you've seen a lot, not a lot can really surprise you at this point, but because of that, I'd be really curious to know what really does or has surprised you recently.
1: Uh, this is popping in my mind just because we we hit on it a little bit earlier, but um, I've been pleasantly surprised lately. I'll just say lately. I'm not sure how time frame that is, but, but the, the, the crack in the door of federal agencies gaining an appreciation for the value of a global enterprise. And, and being willing to accept commercial past performances and experiences as part of an evaluation of, uh, of, of, of vendors and what they bring to the table. Um, you know, for a long, long time, this, that, this just didn't exist. And it's still not universal by any stretch of the imagination, but, but I've been surprised at that, that the, how that door is cracking open and, and um, that conversation is entertained on a more regular basis. Um, so that's been, that's been a pleasant surprise. I, I think, uh, you know, you could probably talk a lot of, about unpleasant surprises, but it's Friday afternoon before spring break. So <laughs> we'll
0: stay there. So but before I respond to that, I, first of all, I think you're absolutely spot on, but why do you think that is, why do you think government's able to to <laughs> now see commercial viability in some of these, some of these things or global viability in some of these things?
1: Uh, you know, maybe it's a, uh, Maybe it's the influx or the, the change of some of the individuals that are in the positions in government um, where they may have come from industry or have gained a greater appreciation or maybe back to that culture thing that we talked about earlier where, where people have a greater appreciation of the impact. Of, of that, IT can have in solving problems, and so being willing to accept some of the innovation that's going on, or recognize that innovation as, actually as is happening elsewhere around the world. Um, I think uh, probably all, you know a number of those things combined.
0: No, I, I think you're right, and I, I know one of the things that I kind of had listed here. I wanted to talk to you about a little bit was workforce, but that's a really good segue because it's something that I think that has really made a big impact in government in. And and I mentioned on the show multiple times where we have these kind of private sector, public sector type of transitions, but I think both are valuable. I think you have people from the private sector that come into government and are able to bring things that they've learned and change the way people operate and and change their considerations of things um, from a culture perspective. But I also think it's just as valuable, the people that go from government that come into the private sector to be able to help us understand Things that that make sense to them or don't make sense to them, or how to work with them. Case in point, I'm working with Jordan Burris, who's the former chief of staff for the federal CIO, and we have conversations on a regular basis about things that he would perceive or or uh, just things that he went through when he was in that role and ways to navigate those things. But I think that back and forth has made. Kind of an immense difference going back to what we talked about of the evolution over the past 30 years i think that amongst amongst a few things but that could be one of the most impactful things that's made that change
1: yeah i think i think i think that's a great point uh, brian and, and we have a number and I, I'll think about it here for a second from the standpoint of the federal executive coming into our organization or any organization really yeah. um, and and we've done um, a lot of that over the years and it feels like the, you know today that we've got you know quite a cadre that I've formed into a bit of an advisory board to help us think just like you're talking about and, you know be a little bit of a, I think of it simply put in my simple brain is a little bit of a translation engine that we can talk about our ideas and and have them go, you know, look at us like we have six heads or, or help us kind of tra- translate the message as something that's going to be meaningful for the government clients, uh, um, and, you know, all in the interest of, um, of, of figuring out how to help the mission. Um, you know one such individual, Dr. Jim Peake, um, who was former secretary of the Veterans Department of Veterans Affairs, has been here for a number of years, been a, a big mentor of mine. Um, and just just talking with him again today, he's, he's just fascinating mind and perspective. That's so different than those that grew up in the IT world. Uh, it's it's truly a, a luxury to have that kind of an individual to to bounce ideas off of.
0: I feel like I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you. What are some things that you've learned from this advisory board, and even even Jim, the person you said he's kind of mentoring you a little bit here? What well, what are some takeaways that you've had recently?
1: Well, good question. Um, perhaps one of the big things that I've I've taken away from from Jim is an understanding of, you know, how an orga- an organization like the VA, something that big, um, thinks about risk management and and how they uh, you know tolerate it and, and, and work through risk especially when it comes to the you know large-scale implementation of an enterprise system which is something that we're doing with the va right now uh, and he helps us a lot think about actions that we're taking reactions that the va is having and, and and what it means from a risk standpoint so that we we collectively stay on the right side of that and are successful in our our implementations
0: excellent i mean I feel like you can't talk about risk without bringing up cybersecurity, and I'd love to get your your point of view here. We just had some guidance come down from the White House on cybersecurity, spoke about identity, and, and amongst other things. How impactful do you think this is going to be for the next few years? I think over the past decade, I think government's done a great job of really trying to be intentional about how they're securing their systems. And sometimes they do great and sometimes they don't, but they're still trying to evolve that. And I think this guidance is a good, a good next step into what they're trying to do on the, on the heels of the executive order that just, that came out about a year ago. But how impactful do you think we're going to see a lot of, a lot of this intentionality being over the next few years, let's say three to five? Well, I, I,
1: I think that's a short horizon for that question, to be honest with you. I think, um, first of all, I think we're, while it does, may not feel like it, I think we're at the beginning of this journey from a cyber standpoint and getting our um, our federal government protected the way it should be protected and, quite frankly, getting the United States protected the way it should be protected. I think we got a long haul ahead of us. Um, I think the EO and, and the zero trust policy that has that come out are, are great, a great is great policy and a great start for sure. It needs the funding um, uh, to go with it, uh, and then it needs the partnership with uh, the private sector to to really make it happen. Um, you know, we've been involved with the, the Home, Department of Homeland Security CDM program for for a number of years, um, and so I've had the opportunity to have a number of those kind of conversations. It's it, it, it's a great those are great programs and great policies. The funding has got to come and, and the partnership with the private sector has got to come. I do think it's a long journey.
0: Yeah. I mean, the irony around the, the CDM program, and uh, for those listening, it's continuous diagnostics and mitigation. I think one of the ironies were that program was meant to level set things and to provide funding, right? And I think we just didn't see some of that materialize at, at every level of government, right? That, I think that was the purpose of the program was to to kind of level set things at whether you're the biggest agency out there or you're some of the, one of the smaller agencies to kind of make sure the security posture was there, but it, but it never really materialized. So I think that's a really good point around funding, but you also brought up something else around private sector partnerships and kind of engaging the private sector in a meaningful way. What do you think the private sector can provide government from that perspective?
1: Well, one, one, I want to go back and make sure I didn't, I didn't misspeak. I, I, I think the CDM program has been very successful in level setting the posture, hygiene posture on a number of agencies, large and small. It might not have generated the kind of funding that it was expected to generate, but I don't want to imply that, that we haven't made great strides with the CDM program in terms of increasing the height, the cyber hygiene of, of, of federal agencies, um, in terms of what. You know what the government can look to the private sector for in the in the cyber world I, I think it's a you know from a generic standpoint it's it's the, the amount of investment and innovation that's happening in the private sector is, is at such a level that trying to to do anything internally to home hope you know home grow any kind of cyber um, capability uh, it just doesn't. I, I just don't believe it makes sense, and so it's got to be leveraging that investment and innovation from the private sector um, to 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 protect. Uh, but in some you know some cases, and, and we're not all into a lot of this, but but go on the offensive.
0: Well, so in that in that same way, how's CGI Federal helping government organizations kind of respond to some of these challenges, or especially around cybersecurity, <clears throat> but even other things.
1: Well, I, I think you know the the environment of, of the the pace of change is is great. Um, you know, I, I kind of hit the biggest the biggest impact I think we're having in terms of helping agencies respond to the the the, the cyber um, threats is is our involvement in the CDM program, and and we're very proud of that and that partnership we have with with um, with that client. The uh, the you know another area maybe I'll jump away from cyber for a second, but as I thought about this. You know, how do you, how are we helping agencies um, a, you know adapt to the changes in their environment? Um, you know one of the best examples that we 've got for um, here at CGI is in the healthcare space and the work that we 've done over the last twenty years with um, CMS within HHS. HHS. Um, and, and, you know, wh- what I like to call it with the work that we've done there is legislation to implementation. And, and what, over the last 20 years, we've helped CMS uh, implement over 27 pieces of legislation that have changed their mission um, across about 80 different systems um, uh, uh, to to, uh, to get the that legislation implemented from an IT standpoint. So that for me, that's the, you know, when asked about, you know how are we helping agencies adapt? That's the example that always jumps to my mind.
0: That's I think that's phenomenal. I think there's been a lot of obviously need around kind of healthcare modernization or or public health modernization, especially on the heels of COVID and how um, I think how government approaches some of these things. I mean, not the least of which is kind of communication and and, and sticking with kind of the way they evolve some of those things um, within within public health. How have you seen some of some of their priorities change. You mentioned legislation to implementation. How how have you seen that legislation piece maybe maybe impact? Because I think a lot of times we see policies that come down but don't always materialize into something around implementation or or, or something that's going to make an impact. How have you seen that intentionality change within public health or even across government?
1: Yeah, I think one of the areas that that it has in both really across government and, and health in particular is is and it's this administration's got a big focus on it, which is the the citizen experience. Everybody's got a slightly different word word for it. But but taking the citizen experience as a primary driver of, of what our policies should be and how they should be implemented so that such that we do improve the citizens experience, whether that you know, a lot of the work that we do with the VA, the veteran experience or, or the, the citizens that interact with our system, the systems that we, we support for CMS. I think that's the, one of the big shifts that we've seen lately. It's obviously a trend in the industry right now. So I'm not uh, telling you anything you don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, so what, what changes have you seen around, around that focus around citizen experience? Cause obviously this, this administration is placing a large focus on it. Um, how, how are you guys, able to help government kind of not only evolve from a, from, I guess from a technology stature, but also from a, from a culture and an understanding. And the reason why I'm asking is when I, when I talk to some of the the CXOs within government, they, they really talk about, and this probably isn't unique to just customer experience, but within, within customer experience, they talk about get, building that culture around putting the citizen at the center of what they're trying to do how are you guys helping organizations really, I guess, galvanize around that type of construct?
1: That's a great question. That's one of the one of the things that we're doing, and, and this is, um, you know, over the last you know five, six, seven years, CGI as a corporation has made a strategic decision to invest more heavily into into what maybe we call in the commercial sector management consulting or or business and IT consulting. Um, you know, things like change management, things like culture or or CIO advisory, where we, we're building that muscle within the organization organically and inorganically, um, to, to engage in those kind of conversations. So it's not all about the implementation of an IT system, the development of a, of a piece of software, but it's the impact that that software mm. will have on the users and the citizens that, it, that uh, engage with it. So uh, I, I'd say that that investment in the consultative capability, really the management consulting piece of it, it's a different skill set than, than historically uh, we've brought to the table. It allows us really to take an end-to-end view of things.
0: Have you seen a change in the focus around adoption of technology? And the reason and, and and what I mean by that is over the past like year or two, because when we went into kind of a, a COVID environment, there were new systems that were rolled out, new technologies that were rolled out in the form of, let's say, Zoom or Teams or, or whatever to be able to facilitate remote work. And adoption was almost a prerequisite to your job at that point. You really had no choice, so adoption rates were were through the roof. But that wasn't always typical, I think, and it was, it was sometimes a big inhibitor of technology really lasting within organizations or making the impact that perhaps it could have through adoption. So now that we've we've gotten through that, and we're still in that hybrid remote work type of environment, but but we're we're sort of past the draconian adoption type of period. Are you still seeing that intentionality around adoption from government, or is that something that you think they need to to continue to focus on, or, or what are you seeing in there?
1: Uh, I'm a so I'm a glass half full kind of guy, <laughs> um, and, and and so my answer is going to be we are seeing in the pockets that intentionality to. Mm-hmm. to to use your word, um, and and you see it from uh, an increased focus on, on change management. Um, it's not everywhere. Uh, there are definitely pockets where it's it's still a challenge, but but there are more conversations that we're in that with our clients who who understand that um, it can't be draconian. Um, and you know, obviously, the extreme of the pandemic pandemic made it that way, but it can't be in, a, in normal lives. It can't be draconian, or it's not going to be successful. We've got to embrace. Uh, a change management um, approach to engaging the users, enrolling the users and what's going to, what's going to happen. And so that I think has just got to increase and got to keep going. Um, And and I think those, those programs that have a success ought to be celebrated and and replicated in in other areas of the government.
0: Well, Greg, we've covered citizen engagement, workforce, cyber, change management, probably more. Um, But before I give you a chance to, to leave some final thoughts. I have one more question I want to ask. So, so you mentioned you're in, you're in coaching and you're kind of working with your team. What's motivating your team right now? What are the things you guys are working on, but really kind of giving you that passion to continue driving forward? It's a great question.
1: I, I think that what I've experienced, we, we recently um, you know, launched a, a strategic engagement and inclusion uh, team um, to, to kind of focus on that question and, and and figure out ways, especially coming out of the pandemic, to re-engage with our member base. And we, are called, we call our employees members. Um, we've, we value ownership of the company in the form of stock uh, here at CGI. And so we call our employees members. Um, our, my old CEO used to try to explain the value of that best by saying, nobody, nobody ever washes a rental car. Uh, if you own something, you take better care of. Uh, but so we formed this this group to to you know, better engage with our with our member base. And one of the things that our leader Rashida Ricks uh, did is is form a number of member resource groups MRGs focused on different groups that that felt like they may not belong as much as we wanted them to feel like they belonged. Um, we formed an MRG around, and and the impact that I've seen that have with people. You know proactively raising their hands and and, and indicating that you know i I feel like i'm heard when i'm here and and i feel like i belong at this organization because there there are others like me with the same challenges and we talk about it that for it's really had an impact on me as i've seen that roll out and uh and and the the effect that it's had on on the members and so from an excitement standpoint that that's an area i think that, that that i'm excited about and is really motivating to the team right now
0: honestly I, I i don't i don't think i can communicate the importance of that enough because not only talking about members and ownership but when you feel like you belong within an organization and you're able to kind of build communities around things that are important to you it's how you retain people that are, are not only talented but you retain people that actually care about the organization and i think that's First of all, it's really cool to hear somebody in in your type of role at that leadership level to see that and value that because I think that's not always the case at every organization. So first of all, Greg, that's really that's really cool that you see that and you you understand the value that's that's there and um, more importantly that that CGI is is kind of continue to, to to propagate that. So that's excellent and and it's very cool that it's something that's really motivating you and your teams because it's it's very important right now to have that that type of community feel. So that's excellent. So as we wrap up, any final thoughts that you wanna leave with our audience today? You've, you've dropped a lot of knowledge bombs on us already, but um, any type of mic drop final thoughts you got for us?
1: You know what, quite frankly, Brian, I think that that exchange that we just had to end it is the best mic drop. Not to come oh, with that.
0: I love it. Hey, Greg, thanks again for your time today. Really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy it, Brian, anytime. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast you can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to governmenthuddle.com wherever you access your podcast. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter at A B. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.